Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be continuing in the book of John. John chapter 12, we're going to start with verse 27 in just a minute. Um, As you're turning there, just so you'll know, the title of my message this morning is The, and that is capital T-H-E, Defining Hour. That's the title of my message this morning. And as you're turning there, I want you to think about something. I want you to think about your life. I I want you to think about how old you are, okay? How old are you and how many days has God entrusted to you? I did the math on myself. It's 365 times however much, how old you are, plus whatever many days you've lived past your birthday. I'm around 17,845 days. My birthday is coming up on December 29th. I like gift cards with cash. (laughs) Now, the older I get, and it's funny, I was talking to somebody in the hallway about this this morning. The older I get, the more my days seem to blur together. You know, it's hard for me to even remember what I did Friday because you have so many of them. But as I look back on my life, there are certain days or certain hours that that are defining, that have shaped me into the person that I am. And I'm sure that some of you wish you could have been there earlier to help shape me. But one of those defining hours happened when I was about four or five years old, Christmas Eve night. My mom had put me to bed because I knew that he knew if I was sleeping or not. Right? He. He knows if you're sleeping. He knows if you're awake, right? Well, I couldn't go to sleep that night, so I thought I'd get up and tell my mom that. So I make my way looking for my mom, and there she is next to the Christmas tree. And I surprised her. I know because she turned around. She says, what are you doing up? And she turned me around and walked me back to my bed. The entire time, she was trying to convince me that I had not seen a bicycle under the tree. That was a defining hour in my life that began to change the way that I viewed Christmas and the things I had been told. You know, defining hours are also those notable moments that alter world history. They also, they also, our nation has also had many of those defining hours. For example, Plymouth Rock and the Mayflower Pilgrims. The, dis- the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Or, in 1955, the day when the first lady of civil rights... Does anyone know who the first lady of civil rights was? Rosa Parks. Opposed segregation by refusing to give up her seat on the bus. How about the famous words that Neil Armstrong spoke to our nation from the moon, or if you're a conspiracy theorist somewhere else, <laughs> that's one step I know there's some of, some of you guys in here. That's one st- small step for man, what? One giant leap for mankind. And who can forget Christmas 1985 when Rocky Balboa ended the Cold War between the U.S. and Russia, come on, by declaring, if eyes can change, 
Yous can change. We's all can change, right? Amen. Who can forget these defining hours of our nation? History is filled with many defining hours, like the discovery of fire, the invention of the wheel, the discovery of, of electricity. Oh, man, this is a good one. The invention of toilet paper. Come on now, it has not always been. But with all these great defining hours, there is one hour that is the hour of hours. It is the defining hour that brings that it, that either brings eternal life or eternal condemnation depending on how you respond to it. And it occurred 2000 years ago. We sang about it this morning when a sinless get this, a sinless Jewish rabbi slash carpenter hung naked on a Roman cross bearing, and we hear it so many times, this sometimes doesn't hit us, bearing the sin of the entire world. The defining moment when he uttered three words, three words that have given eternal hope for all who believe, those three words were, it is finished. Amen? Amen? That was and is and always will be the defining hour for all of human history. And I want to talk about that a little bit more this morning from our passage. And if you've been with us for about the last year and a half or so, you know that we've been steadily marching through the book of John, right? It's taken us some time. We're not in any rush to get through the book, obviously. And today we're in chapter 12, where Jesus is celebrating his final Passover in Jerusalem. He's about, he's days from his final hour. And um, in John 12, 23, we, we read this last week, that Jesus says, the hour, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And as I said before, history is filled with many defining hours. You have defining moments and hours in your life, but this is the hour that is the most important and most influential event that this world has ever seen or will ever see. Because, listen, this hour that we're going to talk about for the next few minutes is the hour that affects your eternity one way or another. So let's look at verse 27 in our text, John chapter 12, verse 27. Jesus begins by saying, Now is my soul troubled. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. This morning I just want to walk through this passage verse by verse. I've got three questions, three uh, observations, and then I've got three gospel victories that I want to point out from this text. And the first question that I want us to ask from this text is, why was Jesus troubled? What causes Jesus to be troubled? Now, we already saw back in, in chapter 11, Jesus was troubled when he was at the tomb of Lazarus. It's the exact same word. It means to be stirred up. It's the, the Greek word terror. Tear also. Tear off. It sounds 
Asian. Tear also. Turn to your neighbor and say, tear also. Okay. Which means troubled or stirred up. Great distress. To be deeply disturbed. What, what deeply disturbs you? What stirs you up? Whatever that is, is what's important to you. We get stirred up about things that matter. And something has stirred up Jesus. He was stirred up at the grave of Lazarus. He's stirred up here, and he's going to get stirred up one more time in this book. And it's, called, it's in chapter 13. When, he, uh, when Judas leaves, it says that his soul was greatly troubled again. And so Jesus is clearly struggling with something. But you know what? It's interesting to me is that, that in chapter 14, okay, in a couple more chapters, Jesus is going to tell his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. It's the exact same word. It, it kind of seems just on the surface a little hypocritical, right? Jesus, you're troubled, and, then, and I'm over here being troubled, but you're telling me, not to be troubled. Why is Jesus troubled? What could trouble the Son of God? Think about that. Who, what could trouble the heart of someone who created everything, someone that, that can speak to a storm and say, stop, and it stops, someone that can open the eyes of someone that's blind, someone that can raise someone from the dead? How many of you guys have someone that you would love to be raised from the dead right now so you could see them again? I bet you all of us have somebody, right? He has the power to do that, and yet he is troubled. What is troubling Jesus? Well, in a nutshell, it's the final hour. It's the defining hour. It's the cross is what is troubling him. And we might be tempted to think when we talk about the cross, we might be tempted to think that the main thing that Jesus was troubled about was the physical side of the cross. Now, there was a lot of physical things going on with Jesus. He was going to get spit on, flogged, mocked, uh, stripped naked, virtually, I mean, totally naked, had nails driven in his hands and his feet. It would be torment. We might be tempted to go, that's what he was really troubled about. But listen, if my family, and, and I know that parents... You're the same way. I know this. If my family was being held hostage by somebody, right, and I knew that me getting done to me what was done to Jesus would set them free, I would gladly, I would gladly take that punishment in order for them to be set free. Wouldn't you, parents? Amen? So I don't think that that is primarily what Jesus is troubled about. There's many people who have been martyred and who have gone to their deaths singing and praising God. I believe, though, that it is, there are two things that trouble Jesus. Number one, this is a minor one, but I believe it's, I mean, it's major, but it's minor in, in this, what troubled him. I think he was troubled by the thought of those who would not believe in him. I think, I believe that that troubles the heart of Jesus. Listen, if you're here this morning and you have not put your faith in Jesus, know that this troubles him. Know that he has not come to destroy you. Know that he wants to give you a life with God, and it troubles him when we remain in our unbelief. Secondly, 
And I believe that th this is the main reason that he was troubled. It's because he was about to experience something that he, as the Son of God, had never experienced. He was going to experience separation from his father. His father was about to turn his back on his one and only son in whom he was well pleased. And Jesus dreaded experiencing the wrath of God. Jesus dreaded that. Now let's look at Matthew 10, verse 28. He told us, his disciples, do not fear those who kill the body. See that? But cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Was Jesus afraid of man? No. He wasn't afraid of us. He had the power to annihilate everyone with a spoken word, didn't he? Jesus was troubled by the knowledge that he was about to experience the wrath of God. And although he was troubled, he says, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. You know, we sang this morning, only one could save us, right? There was only, did you know that there's only one who could save us? If Jesus had said no to this hour, if he had backed away from his responsibility, there would have been no salvation. So he says, am I going to walk away from this hour? He said, no. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour, the defining hour. Father, glorify your name. The second question I want us to ask ourselves is, why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus die? Now, I know most of us are sitting here and go, I know why Jesus died for me. He died to pay for my sins. Now, that is true. Jesus died to pay for our sins. And it's, it's huge what he did. I don't want to make light of it. I don't want to minimize this. It's ginormous what Jesus did for us. But that is not the primary reason that Jesus died. There's an even greater purpose. Let's look at it right here in verse 27. Let's go back to 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. And here it is. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Look at verse 28. What does it say? Father, what? Glorify your name. Father, glorify your name. Let's not miss this. The primary re uh, reason that Jesus died was not because he didn't want heaven with, without us. We sang that this morning, right? We sang, uh, what a beautiful name. It is. That is a beautiful song, isn't it? Isn't the name of Jesus beautiful when we can lift his name up and sing about him and worship him? And there's a line in there that says, you didn't want heaven uh, without us. And there is truth to that. But we got to be careful that we don't make ourselves the center of the gospel. There is a way that we ourselves can make it man-centered, make it all about us. And that Jesus would have, you know, was lonely in heaven without us. Well, the truth is, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit had this, have this relationship with, with one another where they were fully, totally satisfied. And so Jesus, his primary purpose is not to die for our sins, but his, his primary purpose is to die for our sins to glorify the Father. See, when he died for our sins, 
it showed us what God is like. It shows us that God is merciful, that God doesn't want to punish sinners, that God wants people to come to repentance, and he wants to change lives. And that, brings, that reveals, that glorifies who God is. And Jesus, think about this, Jesus loved his daddy more than anything, and he wanted to make his daddy known, and he wanted his dad to be proud of him. He wanted his dad to be proud of him. And that's why it troubled him to know that he was going to be separated or punished by his father for, for, for our sins. But he was willing. Verse 28 says, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thunder. Others said... An angel has spoken to him. Verse 30, Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now, the third question I want us to answer this morning is, Why the voice from heaven? Did Jesus need to be reminded by an audible voice that the Father loved him? No, he clearly says he did it for our sake, the sake of those who are around. This is, again, God reaching out. This is God, once again, reaching out and saying, okay, I'm going to do something that just cannot be done, uh, be an accident. I'm going to speak from heaven. And that unbelieving heart, what does it do? Hmm, that must have been thunder. That's why we shouldn't primarily ask God to prove his love to us by showing us signs. Okay? Because ultimately, if your heart's unbelieving, it won't believe a sign. If you're not going to believe his word, you won't believe his sign. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so God speaks again. He's done this three times. The first time was when? Somebody talk to me. When did God speak from heaven? At his baptism, right. Secondly, when did he speak to him? On the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus, is, Jesus was on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and it says that his body became like lightning, his clothes became like th uh, lightning and shining. They got a peek at his glory, and this cloud came down from heaven. And it says, this, and God said, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And then a third time here. And the Father says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. In other words, listen, he's saying this, Jesus. Your life has totally revealed who I am through every single thing you've done. And you're going to do it one more time. You're going to glorify it again. And the Father loves his Son above anything. The Father is proud of his Son. Why wouldn't he be? Fathers, do your kids know that you're proud of them? Do our children know that, that we're proud of them? Moms, I know your kids know you're proud. You're proud when you shouldn't be, right? Fathers, this is just kind of a side note. 
We need, and I'm talking to myself because I miss this. Our kids need to know, I am so proud of you. I'm with you. I'm behind you. I don't know how many adults I've talked to who still long for that. And the father, listen, the father is proud of his son. And he makes sure everybody knows about it. So Jesus is going now. We're going to go to verse 31. And Jesus is going to go from being troubled to speaking the victory. Okay? He's going to go from being troubled to speaking the victory. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Jesus is coming to his defining hour, and here's the three gospel victories that I want to point out that that make the cross the defining hour. Okay, number one is this. The world is judged. You see that in the passage there? Now is the judgment of this world. Now what does that mean? Well, the cross is the event where the world was judged and condemned because, listen, the cross showed us what the world thinks about Jesus. Do you understand that? The cross shows us that the world hated Jesus, right? The, the world didn't want Jesus, and the cross judged the world. It's not what you say with your mouth about Jesus, is it? It's what you do, right? So the world may have said, we love God but you know how you know if you love God? You know if you love God based upon how you treat his son or respond to his son. It's not lip service. It's the way we live. Do we obey Jesus, right? Do we obey him? That is what he says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You'll obey me. It will be a response of your love. And Jesus came and he was hated and despised. Why? Why? Why was Jesus hated? Why was he despised? Well, John 7, 7 says this. This is why they hated me. Because I testify that their deeds are evil. I testify that this world is evil and they don't like it. Now, I'm going to write a book. I want to write a book and it's a one-page book. And the title of this book is going to be How to Make Enemies Like Jesus Did. How to Make Enemies Like Jesus Did. It's going to be one page, and I'm going to read you what's on there. Do not write this down because it's copyrighted. <laughs> if you want to make enemies like Jesus did, then in love, it's got to be in love, do it in love, tell someone who doesn't want to hear the truth that they're sinning and headed in the wrong direction, and then step back and watch your enemies come at you. That's it, okay? That should be coming out pretty soon. But you will make enemies guarantee. It's got a money-back guarantee on this book on how to make enemies. And G because Jesus says in John 15, 18, if they hated me, what? They're going to hate you. And so they falsely accused him and schemed against him and tried to destroy him. But they forgot the proverb Proverbs 26, 27. 
Whoever digs a pit will fall into it. And a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. You you see that? This is chapter two of my book. I mean, I'm sorry, book number two. What to do when you've made enemies. Okay? There is a psalm that is very... if If you're following Jesus and you're loving people, Truly love, I mean, truly loving people like Jesus loves people. In our, our love, sometimes our love is not received as love, is it? Parents, right? Parents, that, um, when a policeman pulls me over and I'm going 90 miles an hour in a 35, I don't receive that as love. But that is love, isn't it? I shouldn't be doing that. That is, I don't like it. But if we, lo- if we are loving like Jesus, li- living like Jesus, we're going to have enemies and we're going to have Uh, them come against us. And I love Psalm 37. Listen, if you are in that situation right now where you have been living for God, and it may be at your workplace, it may be in your home, whatever your situation is, listen to this. This is what Jesus did. Trust in the Lord and make plans to get even. That's what I like to do, isn't it? No, trust in the Lord and what? Do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Commit your way to the Lord. That word commit means to roll upon the Lord. Take your plans and roll them upon the Lord. And what? Trust in him and he will act. He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. And then this is verse 7. Be still before the Lord. And what? And wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself. He's saying don't freak out. Do what is good. Do what is right. And let the Lord deal with your enemies. So the cross is the defining hour because, number one, the world was judged. Number two, it's because Satan was defeated. And I'm going to need a volunteer for this next um, part. Jameer, you want to be a volunteer? <laughs> how, about, how, how about if Addo comes up here with you? He's reading his Bible now. He can't hear me. <laughs> which, which tripler are you? Anthony. Let's hear it for Anthony. He's a brave man, young man. All right, here we are again. You got to stand right here so everybody can see you. All right, now we got to use our imaginations today. This is a gun, okay? Last week it was a piece of corn. This week it is a, a gun. Just hang tight right there. Satan was defeated. Verse 31 says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the uh, ruler of the world be cast out. Now, before I give you the gun, I want to make a statement here. Who is this talking about? Who's this um, enemy? It's on the screen, right? Satan. I had someone ask me uh, several months ago, do y'all believe in the devil? I said, yeah, we believe in the devil. He said, well, y'all never talk about him. And I I was just like, okay. And I went through it. I'm like, well, you know what? We don't talk about the devil a lot, 
and that is true. It doesn't mean we don't believe in him, but there are some churches that talk about him every week, right? The enemy done this, the enemy's going to do this. Enemy gonna... We talk too much about the enemy. This enemy has been crushed, defeated. His teeth have been kicked out by our Savior, right? So I don't make much of, a, of an enemy. When someone wins the Super Bowl, we don't talk much about the one that lost it, right? We talk about the winner. So we've come here to glorify Jesus. Whoever you talk about, if you talk about your problems a lot, you're going to be conquered by your well, You're praising the enemy. So I don't even talk to the enemy. I praise God. I'm like, Lord, thank you for the way you crush his head. That's what I talk. I praise God because I don't have any strength against the enemy, right? So the enemy had one. All right, here you go. It's real. It's real. <laughs> don't, hey, 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 hey. Careful. Don't point out there. <laughs> yeah, this is real. Now, I want to be honest here. I, I actually wanted to get someone smaller than, than him, okay? For this, but you got to pretend like I can fight. I cannot fight, okay? So if someone breaks in my house, we're, we're in trouble. Well, actually, Kelly will take care of me. But listen, here we go. Just imagine you're six years younger, okay? Okay, you still could take me probably. But listen, he's got a gun, right? Right? I'm afraid. I'm backing up from him. He's got a, a weapon done. I mean, I don't care how old he is. A three-year-old got a gun going like this. Right? What was the, what's the weapon that Satan had against us? Our sin. He is the accuser of the brethren, right? But Jesus came in, wah! Right? <laughs> now, I ain't, afraid, I ain't afraid of you. Now, don't you do it. All right. Let's hear from Anthony for the... Uh, Y'all didn't know Jesus was Asian, did you? All right. This thing is starting to dry out. We're going to have some corn here. Terry, you can use this next week if you want it, okay? Just be thinking about that. But seriously, the enemy had guilt. Guilt is a horrible thing, isn't it? Guilt, when you know you're guilty of something, it's hard to be bold, isn't it? I hope it is. It's hard to be bold when you believe, uh, when you're walking in guilt. But Jesus came to earth to set us free from the reign of Satan by taking away our sin. Look at verse uh, Hebrews 2, 14 through 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. Who's the children? The church. His people, right? Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things. Here's the gospel. He took on flesh, right? He became a man that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And to, li to deliver all those who through the fear of death. Why would you be afraid to die? Because you've got to stand before a holy God and give an account. And it is a horrifying thing if your sins are not paid for to stand before a living God. He delivered us from the fear of death when we were subject, subject to lifelong slavery. And so the, the weapon that Satan had was our sin, the accusations, but Jesus took that away. Thirdly, the cross is the defining hour because... That's where eternal worshipers were born. 
This is where we should understand why this is the hour, the defining hour. Jesus says in verse 32, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth. What's he talking about here? When I'm not glorified, but when I'm raised up on a cross. When I'm lifted up, it will draw all men to me. Now, how does the cross draw all people to Jesus? Well, the truth is, the cross either draws you to Jesus or it repels you from Jesus. That's the wisdom of the cross. It either draws you or repels you. Because this is the message of the cross. Jesus came to die for sinners, get this, who realize that they should die. That is the good news of the gospel. But if you don't think that you need a Savior, when Jesus comes to you and says, look, you're wicked. You're, I'm not that, but yes, you are. I am. I need a Savior. And to those of us who agree, who have, who, who have allowed Jesus to show us our need for him, and realize that our sin has been paid for, it draws us to him. When we see him lifted up, when we see the glory, it will draw all men, and it transforms us into grateful, eternal worshipers. And you know, we talk a lot about the cross here. Have you noticed that? I hope you noticed that. I hope that in every single message you will hear that how everything ties back to the cross. And you might be tempted to think, okay, all right, got it, James. Let's move on to something else that's in the Bible. Have you ever been tempted like that? I have. And here's my answer to you. If that is your, your statement, let's move on to something else. I will move on to something else when heaven moves on to something else. I will move on to something else when heaven moves on to something else. And what do, what do I mean by that? Well, in the book of Revelation, John, the, who wrote this book, the book of John, has a vision of heaven in Revelation chapter 5. And listen to what they sing in heaven. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Who is you in this? Jesus is. For you were, what, slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God and from every tribe and language and people and, and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they, they shall reign on the earth. What's being slain, the blood, what is that talking about? The cross. The cross is being sung about. Look at verse uh, 11, then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angel, angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, would you all say this with me? Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Listen, the theme of heavenly worship. John MacArthur says the theme of heavenly worship is the cross. The cross. Every time we see Jesus, if you have put your faith in him, every time you see him and you see his nail-scarred hands and his nail-scarred feet, and I don't know what it's going to look like, but it will be glorious every single time. What is it going to be? 
Thank you, Jesus. I don't deserve to be here, but you loved me enough to to leave heaven and lay down your life for me. We will be praising, always praising Jesus for the cross. We're not going to get to heaven and then kind of like forget about everything that happened on earth. This is the defining hour of all time for eternity. There is not a greater hour coming and we will always be worshiping him. So if, we're, if, we, if you want to do what you're going to do in heaven, let's worship Jesus for what he's done for us on the, crowd, uh, on the cross. And in verse 34, it says that the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Basically, they have bad theologies from truth. They believe that the Messiah will not die. Now, Jesus will never die again, but he had to come and die before he could save us. Our sins had to be paid for. That's how glorious the cross is. And they try to argue with him again. And look what Jesus says. And this is kind of scary, actually, to me. Verse 35, it says, So Jesus said to them, Does he, as I'm reading this, ask yourself, is he answering the question they asked him? I thought, I thought the Messiah was going to live forever. Look what he says. The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. In other words, Jesus is saying this. I'm done. I'm done talking. I'm done arguing. I'm done trying to reason with you. I have done so many signs and wonders. There's no question this is what I did. And yet you're still sitting here arguing with me. And you refuse to accept what is very clear. And he goes, but I got one more. I got one more thing I'm going to do. It's going to be the defining hour. I'm going to go to the cross. And I'm going to be put to death. I'm going to be lifted up for you. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to be raised from the dead. And if that doesn't change your heart, if that doesn't convince you that God loves you and that he's for you, then nothing else will. And as I said earlier, we are all having, we've all had defining hours that shape our lives. But there is none greater than this hour. And I want to encourage you, if you've never come to this hour and really taken in what Jesus has done for you, I want to encourage you that today would be your day to put your faith, to put your trust in Jesus and become an eternal worshiper. And for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, may we continue to press into the cross and that we would glory in the defining hour for all eternity. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.